Hi everyone, Master Jedi Colleen here, co-host of Bohemian Geek Studies and yet another Star Wars podcast. But I'm not only a podcaster, I'm also an author. My second novel was published last fall and it debuted as number one horror novel on Amazon, which was really cool. If you like Stephen King, weird happenings in small towns, or just looking for a new writer, give my novel The Falls a try. It's set in Minnesota where everyone wears that nice facade. Nothing is ever what it seems. Find the Falls by Colleen McMillan on Amazon and the Between the Lines publishing website. Ladies and gentlemen, please notice that exits are conveniently located at the front and rear of this auditorium. When leaving the theater, we suggest that the exit at the front of the auditorium will allow you easier access to the parking areas. Thank you. I was going to say, like, the whole point of Star Wars is to get him to shoot those friggin' things to kill the Death Star. You're talking about the whole design of that movie. I'm a little... Things didn't go the way you thought. No, I'm just a little... (laughs) Stallone's playing soccer? Yeah. What's going on? I'm watching this. I saw that at a very young age, and I didn't... You're coming at me hard. I'm not coming at you hard. Yeah, you are. I just don't believe her choices. Her choices are ridiculous. Give me me an emotion. Hi, I'm Mike Field. I'm Mike Butler. And you're listening to the Forgotten Cinema Podcast. Each episode, we highlight a film that, for a variety of reasons, was forgotten by audiences. Whether it be because a more popular movie was released at the same time, or the movie simply didn't catch on with an audience in its initial run. We'll discuss what we love about the movie, or perhaps don't love about it, but we'll always recommend you revisit it. If you enjoy our podcast, we want to hear from you. We're on Instagram and Facebook. Find us. Our podcast is available on all platforms with a backlog of 150 episodes for your listening pleasure. What's going on? Nothing. Just, you know, seducing people, making them change their ways, ruining mm-hmm. their lives. Deliciously you know, the evil. Better. Deliciously evil is what I said <laughs> in my uh, Instagram story when I said I was watching it. Uh, yeah, we are doing uh, The Shape of Things, uh, a movie that was a first for us in terms of it's never it's nowhere to be found. Yeah, no, nowhere to be found. It's not av- unavailable for streaming, like unavailable for VOD. Um, I'm not going to tell you how we got it, but um, it was <laughs> we got it. We here at Forgotten Cinema make sure that we get the movies when we say we're going to do them. If you if we tell you next, last week that we were going to do Shape of Things, bet your ass we're going to do Shape. You're of darn things. right. You're darn <laughs> right. If people pay attention to that, so so the Shape of Things has a runtime of 96 minutes. It's rated R. Production budget of four million dollars. Now let me tell you what it's about. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> While Apologies. visiting an art museum, a nerdy college student named Adam meets an iconoclastic artist named Evelyn and is instantly smitten. As their relationship develops, she gradually encourages Adam to change in various ways that surprise his older friends, Jenny and Philip. However, as events progress, Evelyn's antics become darker and darker as her influence begins to twist Adam and his friends in hurtful ways. The shape of things is just runtime of 96 minutes. <laughs> right at R. Production budget of four million dollars. It came out a limited, only limited, uh, for on Friday, May 9th, two thousand three. When I say only limited, it was opened in forty theaters, but it never went over sixty theaters in terms of its extended run. So this is a big movie, man. Limited as limited can get. Its opening weekend, it did one hundred and seventy-three thousand dollars domestic. It's seven hundred and thirty-five thousand, and worldwide eight hundred and twenty-six thousand. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but this isn't the the lowest one we've done right we've done i mean i I don't can we really count the can we really count the the limo one which one the limo one the stretch one that's more streaming i was saying could we really discount uh count the elvis one 
that we did because it's so old, like the older film. That was our mm-hmm. oldest film, right? Or yeah. The Night of the Hunter was our oldest film. Night of the Hunter was probably the oldest one. But yeah, yeah. I don't know if you can count those because they're so old. Yeah. Maybe modern day movies this might be the, I don't know. Is this less than Croupier? Maybe not. No, I thought Croupier made a million. But did Croupier make a million? million. Okay. Yeah. Oh, who knows? Uh, production companies were three of them, Studio Canal, Working Title Films, and Pretty Pictures, distributed in the United States by Focus Features, and in the United Kingdom, Momentum Pictures. So I said it came out on the 9th of May. It went up against the juggernaut, Daddy Daycare. <laughs> and A Mighty Win, that's the Christopher Guest movie. You also had a limited release of Down With Love, which came out on the 16th, the following Friday, as a wide release. Uh, you, it also came up. It also had a limited release of Pokemon Heroes. Did you see Pokemon Heroes, Butler? No, I was probably a little too old to see the Pokemon movies by that point. Right now, you're wondering. You know, the 16th is Friday. It's not really a big weekend. That, that's a May. That's a May weekend. It should be summer release. But the Thursday, right before it, the 15th was the Matrix Reloaded. So that I didn't realize that had an extra Thursday day release. No, I mean either. You know what I mean? So that would have been like Wednesday night was midnights and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, that would have been Memorial Day weekend, right? No, Memorial Day weekend is the last Monday in May. So that's probably the following weekend. They were just thinking Matrix is going to make so much money. Well, that's a sequel, Butler. And even though you don't like Matrix Reloaded, it is going to be a big time weekend for the oh, I understand, sequel right? to Matrix. Yeah. yeah. So that's probably why it had that extra day. So it probably had one, two, so four extra days of gross. Yeah. Huh, whatever. We're not they doing know they're going to make some money. We're not doing the Matrix Reloaded. <laughs> We're doing the Shape of Things. Okay, so the week before the Shape of Things, which was May 2nd, you had X2, X-Men United. Uh, that's a that's what, that's the good one, right? X2 is good. Yeah, yeah it's action heavy. But yeah. And then you also had the Lizzie McGuire movie, which was a Butler favorite, I'm sure. Woo! This is written and directed by Neil Abute. He did In Company of Men, Your Friends and Neighbors, uh, Nurse Betty. He also did the Nicolas Cage Punching a Bear and the Wicker Man. Mm. And he, I didn't realize this, but he is I, he's writing. I think he's... Maybe executive producing, but I'm not sure. But the uh, they're doing a TV show for American Gigolo, the based on the '80s movie with John oh, Bernthal. Really? Uh, John Bernthal's in that, so I thought that was like oh, I'm intrigued by that. I do like John Bernthal. Agreed. I did see he was also the writer of 16 episodes of the Van Helsing Sci-Fi Channel. Series. I did see that too. I thought that was really interesting. Very big change of pace. Maybe he, exactly. Yeah. I always say I always lump the shape of things within the company men and your friends and neighbors. It's like a trilogy of hate, which I love. Uh, <laughs> so, and I didn't realize he did Nurse Betty. I don't know why I didn't realize that, but it makes sense because it's also kind of a spiteful kind of thing. It makes sense thinking about it. Yeah. 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 Cinematography was James L. Carter, who's done home movies. That is a Brian De Palma film from 1979. He also did One False Move, and he's done a lot of TV, uh, for, but mostly for Hawaii Five-0, the, uh, the new one, the remake or the reboot or whatever. Right, right, right. Composer was Elvis Costello. They just use his songs, basically. Uh, they use a, or maybe he did compose some music for the movie itself. He's actually been nominated for an Oscar for song for the movie Cold Mountain. Edited by Joel Plotch, who did Lakeview Terrace, The Wicker Man. Uh, Lakeview Terrace is another Neil Abute film. Yep. And he did some editing for the TV show Longwire, which I like, and produced by Neil Abute. I had him for Van Helsing Butler. I had him down for producing. Andrew mm-hmm. Lipson, who's done Extreme Makeover Home Edition. Cal Motrix, who's done Donnie Brasco and Kinsey. Philip Stewart, who did The Rookie, Chronicles of Narnia, Narnia Trilogy. And then Rachel Weisz uh, produced this movie. Uh, she has produced the movie Dis- Disobedience, which she was in. She's only produced a couple others. I think mainly whatever she's in. Right. She's in this movie. <laughs> she plays Evelyn. Uh, she actually, I did not, I forgot this, that she had won an Oscar. Did you know that? Do you remember what it was for? Uh, for that oh, the movie that the year that came out, the year the Dark Knight came out, right? And that, like, 
it pretty much got snubbed. Shit, if you tell me, I gotta remember the title. The Constant Gardener. Oh no, that's not. That's not what were you I thinking thought. of? I can't remember the name of it. Dark Knight was two thousand five. No, was it five? Two thousand five. You know, and I'm thinking of the wrong actress. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We're off to a good start. So Rachel Weisz uh, was, well, won an Oscar for The Constant Gardener. She's also, she was also nominated for an Oscar for the movie The Favorite, which came out uh, a couple years ago. And she, one of her first films was Chain Reaction, which I always remember. Oh, that was one of her first ones? Yeah, it was yeah, like her second or third one or something like that. I want to rewatch Chain Reaction. I liked it when I was a kid, but you say it's bad. I, I, I don't think it's it. bad. I, I think it's watchable. It's mm-hmm. just like. It's, Generic? Yeah, it's yeah, like the opening scene when the chain reaction happens, and it, mm-hmm. that's pretty cool. And there's some good stuff. There's some interesting action. It's not, but I'm not going to sit here and tell you that you know. Oh my god, this is a classic that people <laughs> forgot about. Uh, Paul Rudd plays Adam, uh, who's in the catch. I try to do some movies that Paul Rudd is in that's not a superhero film. Everyone, so I know you all know him as Ant Man, and you know, you know, he's in Anchorman as well, and and I know he's in the Ghostbusters film that I have not yet seen, um, but Butler loves it. He's also in the Catcher Was a Spy, uh, the movie Wanderlust, and the Cider House Rules. Gretchen Ma plays Jenny. She is in Rounders, the notorious Betty Page, where she actually plays Betty Page, and Manchester by the Sea. And then Frederick Weller as Philip, who is probably people know him from the TV show In Plain Sight because he's on there a lot. He's also in the Steven Soderbergh uh, TV show Mosaic, which was on HBO, which I recommend. And he's also in the movie Black Klansman, to name a few. Uh, and that's it. That's a small, small cast. This cast is actually the original uh, cast of the play. Yeah, so this, I saw that. So this movie is based obviously on uh, Labute's play. Uh, so he wrote and directed the script uh, based on his own play. So it makes sense. I like that the original cast is in there. It brings a familiarity to the role. Butler has never seen this film. Nope. Um, I don't mean you heard of it, right? I had heard of it. Okay. But I knew nothing about it. Oh, excellent. I just knew there was a film with Paul Rudd that was called The Shape of Things. Yes. So uh, spoiler alert, we'll probably reveal some stuff here because the 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 whole basis of the movie, it leads up to an ending um, that if you don't know what's going on, uh, you know, it, it could be pretty shy. It could be shocking or interesting or like, oh, wow, I didn't see that coming. Um, but like upon second watch with me, it was interesting to dissect the film, knowing how is it going to end and seeing how what she was doing. So if you have not seen this film, we apologize, but we don't do non-spoiler reviews. Sorry, because <laughs> this is more of a discussion about the film. I'm curious though what you thought of the movie. Uh it was okay. Interesting. I think that the dialogue really pissed me off for a while. Uh and then I paused it, went to the bathroom, came back, <laughs> got into like a little bit of a phone hole, looked up some facts about the movie and found out it was a play. And I was like, this makes sense because one of my notes was they're talking like it's a play. I didn't did you not know that uh Labute is a playwright? I did know he was a playwright. Okay. But I did not know that this was a play. Well, most of his movies are based upon his own plays. Really? Oh yeah. I did not know that. So and and obviously when you're a playwright, I think when you start writing for for TV and, and film, I think that kind of comes through because that like Aaron Sorkin's very wordy. You know, David Mamet's very wordy in his movies. Mamet is definitely you wordy. Know what I mean? Mamet's almost play like, but <sighs> I'd say Sorkin still has a more of a realistic style to his dialogue, even mm-hmm. though it's wordy. Okay. Whereas this is very play-like dialogue. This is very, I'm going to tell you my feelings because you can't see them on my face because we're performing for a stage and you're mm-hmm. sitting too far away from me for a close. But see, I, I, and I understand that sentiment. Um, obviously as someone who writes, I don't, I actually enjoy plays that are brought onto the screen cause I enjoy that. Uh, I enjoy hearing the dialogue. So it doesn't, it doesn't offend me or affect me as much as it may you. Uh, but I also, with this movie, I also think a lot of the stuff that they're saying is you, you. There's a lot of subtext to what she is doing when she is trying to manipulate him, 
what she says, how she speaks to him. So I think that's necessary in some aspects. For her, sure. And, you know, she's hot enough where it can get away with it. Because, like, it's it's, she's just like, I knew from the beginning she was up to something. And she was changing him for a reason. And it dawned about about halfway through, I was like, Sheets is our project. I kind of realized what it was. Interesting. Because I Um, never, I I, I must not be as smart as you because I never realized that. It just, there's there's a little too wordy at the beginning with the museum piece and stuff. And I was just like, "Mm." well, she only mentions the thesis that she's starting it. And then maybe when later on in the, in the show, or excuse me, later on in the movie, when she's speaking to Adam about it, she says, he's, oh, you're working on a thesis. So I never, oh no, I'm sorry, Jenny. And she's like, I never told you what it was. I never said what my right. thesis was. So, I mean, I guess you could probably glean something from that. There's the bedroom with the camera and smile at the camera. And I was like, oh, okay. Well, I think, yeah, but like you could very easily, and maybe I did this upon first watch, is very easily equate the way she, her behavior is, the, her free spirit as being somebody who was into that kind of stuff, who was somebody who was... That that was like she's very she's an outward person she she likes to try different things she's uh, you know but at the same time she's not outward because she doesn't really react to things correctly like when he gets eat on his thigh and she's like I I do like it it's almost like she doesn't really we talking about like when he it. when he gets when he gets the, the tattoo on oh his thigh. right right and the smile for the camera and like that's on his groin you, yeah <laughs> why would you smile for the camera I sure was just like sure mm. so in the, so we should t- mention what happens at the end. Uh, I know just for people because we're talking so, about like people okay. know. Yeah, go ahead. Her whole thing, Evelyn's whole thing is that she's uh, trying to get her MFA in fine art. Her experiment was supposed to be, or her professor told her that art can change the world. Mm-hmm. And so she took that as your art can change a person to try to change Adam from a, you know, overweight doofus to a, you know, a guy who's not only externally attractive, but internally um, what people think of as attractive. So change the way he thinks, make him a little bit more of a quote unquote bad boy, you know, get his nose job, lose 25 pounds, you know, get that tattoo, all all that kind well, of stuff. Well, the tattoo wasn't her. Well, it wasn't yeah. her idea. It was, that was more stuff like I didn't even need to really try and stuff like that. Right. Well, she calls it that she's, she's a sculptor. She's sculpting, she's sculpting him her, into her, her work as a human person, yeah, a human body. And she's basically, it's, it's an extension or it's an exaggeration of when, uh, a boy meets a girl and a girl, you know, tries to change the boy and right. makes suggestions. Cause let's be honest. That's a lot of times uh, when teenagers, teenage boys need help. They need help and figure oh, yeah, out. Yeah. Like that and, kind of and, stuff yeah. happens. This and is they don't, yeah, they don't, they don't start realizing they need to wear cologne or they need to start wearing deodorant until they realize that, Oh, I like this girl or I like this other boy, whatever. Right. When, it, when your puberty hits, you know, it's the other people's perceptions of you that changes how you behave. And yep. we've all been there and we're still there. Um, you know, we're all still doing that kind of stuff. So Absolutely. this is an exaggeration of that. Uh, totally. Um, and she does mention at the end that she never told him to do. She never said he must do this. She never said you have to have nothing him. was forced. Right. right. He he she proposed the decision to him and she would give him she would weigh the pros and cons, obviously being biased toward the pros about why he should get the nose job or why he should start running to lose weight. Because clearly in the beginning of the movie, he's wearing implants or he's got some kind of prosthetics in his mouth because he's talking. Right. And he's got he keeps yeah. his next it. So he gets a double chin. Right. Although I thought some of the prosthetics were pretty good, especially the fake nose. I just I didn't realize it until later on. I was like, oh, wow. Okay. Well, I was wondering if the if they never did the fake nose until that scene to kind of give it just a little bit like you would look at it and be like, oh, that's 
something's up because it doesn't because when you look back at after right it doesn't seem like they did much it seems like oh, it's, you know it's what not I mean? exaggerated which is right nice. if it was right. exaggerated that'd be ridiculous but also paul rudd lost 25 pounds for the film i did see that so he so he did he did lose weight i mean when you're performing on stage this movie you're not really going to you're not going to be able to show that weight loss unless you wear padding or something like that. right yeah which you know and it is a little exaggerated because his character at the beginning is definitely more than 25 per- 25 pounds heavier than he is at the end. Right, right. Just to get back to the art gallery and all that stuff and her at the end, what I love is that she presents everything. She presents it to people. She has the mic and she presents everything. She's like, hey, you can come back to the Q&A afterward and nobody no shows, shows up, up which is, yeah. I thought was very interesting because it, I think it is controversial what she did because you know I think a lot of people felt the same way that Jenny and Philip felt when they both yelled it's at her. Right yeah. It's Yeah, they, they don't agree with it, but- I do like the quote when they walk through, when he goes to the Q&A and to the gallery and it says moralists have no place in an art gallery. I do like that quote because that's her. That's basically her in a nutshell, what she's thinking. Oh, sure. Yeah. That. But also there's an alternate ending to the movie. I don't know if they shot it. Is it an OK? Because I, re- I read that in trivia or whatever. And I was just right. like, what? It's an alternate ending. It might be in the play. That's probably why I'm thinking that. Okay. But, so at the end of the movie, when Adam shows up and if you haven't get it or got it already, Adam and Evelyn, Adam and Eve. Uh, when Adam shows up to talk to Evelyn and he kind of yells at her and, and he kind of like just screams and she's not going to change her mind. She doesn't care. She doesn't believe she did anything wrong. Right. You know, I mean, he's not really there to change her mind. Right. He's kind of there to tell her. To vent. Yeah. How he feels. But in the so at the end of the when she leaves, he just no, he leaves and she just stands. No, she leaves and he stands there and then it pans over to uh, what's the what is he loves me. Not, he loves or me she, not. She loves me not or yeah. something like that. She loves me not. But in the in the original, she had. Mike had talked about how they recorded themselves having making love, having sex. Right. They, she actually has that video keyed up on a on a TV for people to sit down and watch them, their love making. Right. Uh, in the movie, they don't we don't see it. Doesn't play. It's just right. you see the TV there, and you get the idea. I think once you see the TV, you know that that's what's happening. But yep. the alternate ending is that he actually sits down and watches the video and keeps rewinding it over and over because again just he to asked watch if it. anything she said was true, and he said there was one time in the bedroom mm-hmm. he whispered something to her, and she whispered something back, and that was the one true thing she ever said. Right. So I guess that's what he's rewinding to listen to is that one moment of truth in their relationship. Right. Yes, agreed. Um, but what I See, the whole thing when she's playing the role, mm-hmm. do you think that she was actively angry at Philip for a reason when he started, when he started talking? Because they initially meet because she defaces a work of art by draw, by spray painting a penis on this guy. That was already kind of defaced because the right, a piece right. on the statue that blocked his genitalia. She talked about how these people put plaster. Was up because the town, the town right. didn't like it. Right. Um, do you think that her anger towards Philip was calculated? No, I think that anger was real. Okay. Yeah. I think that anger was that conversation about art and stuff. I think that was real. And I think her fight with Adam was real in the bedroom. I think that's what she's passionate about. She is, she has no moral center except for how you regard art Mm -hmm. and especially like performance pieces and avant-garde art and this like emotional kind of thing. Like that's art to her Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and you're feeling away, you're feeling anger, but that is part of art is that you might have to feel that way. Uh, So she's very protective about yeah her pieces and just art in general right so i thought i thought that too i was trying because i was trying to find moments in the movie where it her plan you know what was her plan right and what was just her kind of either deviating or letting her emotions get the better of her or whatever yeah you know? um and that was one moment the moment where so a byproduct of adam getting better and adam improving his look is that jenny who was somebody who he 
uh, liked uh, initially and had, didn't have the guts to ask out. But then you find out his roommate, Philip, asked her out and they're set to be married in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, Jenny's having second thoughts because she, suddenly because she, she's realizing that Philip's a dick uh, and, you know, played well by Frederick Weller. And uh, she ha- starts becoming attracted to Phil- to excuse me, to Adam. To Adam, yeah. They kiss. And I guess the indication is that they do more than kiss later on. They, you know, obviously. Right. They're kissing together. They make out. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but then to even the score, according to Evelyn, as she goes and kisses Philip. Philip. This is off screen. She reveals it. Do you think that was calculated to break them up? To just kind of see what would happen? It was, it, is that I part of it? That obviously she didn't plan for Adam to cheat on her with Jenny. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think Evelyn then used that to her advantage to create a new, a new checkpoint in her game or her, mm-hmm. her art piece, mm-hmm. which was to see if Adam would completely block out Jenny and Philip as people. Mm-hmm. So at that point, Jenny kind of is her El- Evelyn. You know, Adam might be her fake boyfriend, but still her boyfriend. And Philip, she just straight up hates. So can she get him to stay away from them as they are possibly negative influences to her designs? Philip's like one of those guys that's probably in a promising young woman at the end when they. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. absolutely. That's him. He's a uh, he's coming to the bedroom at the end. Hey, buddy. Yeah. No. But I will say, but I'm gonna say this about Philip because he he is a dick, and I'm not. But he his he has a power that no one else really has in here is that he knows when things are off. Like yep. he knows Absolutely. he immediately knows something's wrong because Adam, he's already placed Adam in a in a box in how he's supposed to behave. And, yep. and he already knows because Adam's improving himself. Adam's doing different things and new things that something's not right. And he recognizes that. And you know, for good or bad, that's something that I I didn't pick up the first time around when I watched this yeah, movie. When it comes to routine, he used to be like uh, Mr. Goddamn Rogers right. quote, which I Wrote down in my notes. I love that quote. But he because it, so you have to give it's it's very easy to take that character, Philip's character, and just dismiss him as like you know people right. would do, and just saying like ah oh, he's just um whatever. He's the dick friend. Dad. Yeah, but the dick friend will tell you the truth. Exactly. Exactly. So it, you know when you first meet Philip when they have the double date and he's just spouting off and you don't like him. Nobody likes you. Just like oh, oh Phil, he's come such on. a douche. Yeah. But as the movie goes on, it's not that you're just like oh, I like Philip. It's just that you don't hate him as much because you understand Philip, which is probably how Adam became friends with him. Yeah. Well, <laughs> he's roommates. an alpha male. So Adam they were probably, roommates yeah. and they kind of just kind of gelled at the, right. At the end. Right. So I, I, so I just, I, I thought that was very, very I interesting. Liked that. I liked his, their conversation um, right before Evelyn's art piece where Philip's just kind of realizing what's going on with Adam, mm-hmm. you know? Oh, I think we should sit. Maybe I just go. Okay. All right. Yeah. Like whatever, he man. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I like speaking of lines. I also like the line when it's after Evelyn reveals to Jenny about what happened They're at the coffee house. Right. And then she leaves and then Adam and Evelyn are fighting. And then Evelyn, Adam's trying to say it was nothing. It was nothing. It was nothing. And then I love uh, Evelyn's line because he's trying to defend, you know, saying that his kiss wasn't anything. He wasn't a big deal. Whatever. Right. And then I like Evelyn's line was like, it's always nothing until it's something. And it's like such that, that's a really nice line. Yep. Um, I thought that was a really nice line. And I also like the, the line where, because when you first meet Evelyn, uh, you know, she's somebody who speaks from the heart, but really doesn't, has no moral affectation. She doesn't care. She doesn't, she just doesn't care about whatever. Right. She doesn't think there's meaning in everything uh, or, you know, so when he goes, when he asks her about, oh, aren't you a Gemini? What is that? The twins? Is, does that mean you have a split personality? And she's like, no, it means I was born in June. Like it just doesn't, yeah, you know what right. I mean? Yep. So I thought that was a nice line as well. One of the things I really liked 
was toward the end. I mean, it's mentioned earlier, but then it comes up at the end, which is something I really like when something comes back around. Of course. Is when Jenny has said that, you know, it's the little things that bother people. Like it's the sunglasses on their head, even when they're inside. <laughs> and you see that Jenny and Philip are talking. And I guess Philip tells Adam that, you know, they broke him and Jenny broke up and they're not getting married anymore. She returned the ring. Mm -hmm. uh, and then Philip sees Jenny and Adam sees Jenny and Adam apologizes to Jenny that they broke up. And Philip's like, oh, I didn't tell her. Or it's not, it's <laughs> yeah, not really it official. official. Yeah, yeah. And Jenny just goes, some things never change. And you see Philip put the sunglasses back on his head, which is something she had mentioned before. Yeah. And then she pops back out and goes, by the way, <laughs> you don't need sunglasses on your head when you're inside. So she walks back in. I thought that was really good because it came back around uh, from earlier on in the movie. Yeah. Um, well, I guess one of the things I wanted to ask you, because you would mention the one thing you, you when we first started this uh, episode was that you thought it was just okay. And you, it was the play was, um, the way that it was just, it felt like you didn't like the dialogue and it was, it was yeah. yeah. Okay. Was that the only thing that kind of you bugged you? That was the main thing that kind of sure. bugged me. I mean, I think that I, it, it kind of got over it as the film went along. Once I learned it was a play, mm -hmm. I started looking at it as a play. Sure. Um, but I do think that hurts it as a film. Okay. I think that once you adapt plays for films, you have to look at your dialogue and maybe sometimes, I mean, you can keep lines that you really like. But you might have to adapt certain dialogue. It might sound great on stage, but it might sound really, really unrealistic and stupid when you're seeing it on film. Right. Uh, and that's something that kind of bothers me and something I kind of look at when I'm, I'm watching a film that's based on a play is I can see them putting it on a stage and saying that dialogue absolutely works on a play. Sure. But not so much real humans on a, on a screen. Right. But other than that, not too much. I mean, obviously, uh, something that you must have thought of when you were watching this was it's a very uncomfortable movie. At uh, times. Uh, listen, and as you know, I don't do well with uncomfortableness. Exactly. But I think the movie balances that really well um, to the point where I, you know, at the end, I should have been crawling in my skin going, oh, I should have I should have been like Adam sitting there yeah. watching this thing. That's how I normally am with awkward movies. But I think she Evelyn does a really good way of saying like she never told him he had to do any of this. Right. And that Adam himself became a bit of a dick as he kind of moved on that by becoming a quote unquote better person, he also became a worse person. He did, you know, he didn't know Evelyn's emotions weren't real. He did cheat on Evelyn. He did ruin Jenny and Philip. He did lose his friends on his own kind of. Um, well, I think the, I agree with you. And I think that the Jenny, I think uh, in terms of that rationale, I kind of have to just give, not give him a pass, but there was unrequited love between him and Jenny. Sure. The, the point that Evelyn brings up is the waitress that he writes, you, that it's off screen that he writes in his journal, the cute waitress that he flirted with. He did, yeah. She points to that as being, you know, the way that he improved himself. He also it empowered him to be. To look uh, at other women. Look, and exactly. Like so I think that was probably, even though that was less to a degree of what he did. Right. He didn't cheat. He, but he was flirting with some, you know, like, cause, because the Jenny thing there's, he did like Jenny and I think there were still feelings. there. Sure. But, yeah. yeah. But to your point about the dialogue, I wanted to just go back to that about you. You do have to change it for the film, that kind of stuff. Sure. This is where we differ because I love that. I don't mind. It. I think there's, if, if there's room, this is my, this is my thinking. Sure. Two points. One, and you, I'm not trying to convince you. I'm just telling you my, you're not going to, but no, 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 I know that, but this is, I'm not trying to like be right. like, well, you have to agree with this. Um, if there's a place for for movies to be plot driven and character driven, if there's a place for different styles of films um, that are supposed to be esoteric or just supposed to be linear or nonlinear, I think there's a place for this type of film that is that the dialogue is 
uh, more wordy than not. And maybe it is play to go along with that. Cause I'm right. about to argue is how do you excuse when people do Shakespearean adaptions, adaptations in movies when they're using Shakespearean dialogue in, in movies that are specifically for theater? How is that? A, that can't be a pass. That has the same rationale has to hold true, right? It's tough because sometimes when you do Shakespeare adaptations, it is kind of crappy because it's, you're not doing the dialogue right or you're doing the dialogue too too much the way it's supposed to be. And sometimes you have to take liberties with that dialogue. I'm not saying change Shakespeare's dialogue. Right. But, you know, go off the beaten path. Maybe don't do the full thing as iambic pentameter. You know, be a little bit more emotional in different scenes. You know, really kind of change it up for film. And the ones that succeed in that are, are great. I, I always say that I, I really like Polanski's Macbeth. Mm -hmm. And I think they don't necessarily hold to the iambic pentameter too much. And Although when this is coming, when we're recording this, I have not yet seen Denzel Washington's Macbeth, which is out actually today. Today, oh, oh yeah, I know. Nice, I'm all over that. So I'll be watching it this weekend. But bullshit. Hold on, bullshit. bullshit you will. <laughs> that eh. ain't happening. That well, ain't there's happening. no way Elise wants to watch this with me, so I'll be. I can watch it late at night, <laughs> depending on how long it is. But um, okay, go ahead. So I'm sure Denzel Washington. From what I've seen of Denzel Washington's, it's a little bit more close up. It's a little bit more personable. It's a little bit more subdued and changed and i think that that's what you need to do in this it's not that this movie shape of things is too wordy sure because like i said uh sorkin stuff and uh, and all that is very wordy mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. i think it works mm -hmm. i think that it's it still feels human it still feels made for film when they perform it sometimes mm -hmm. uh, mammoth stuff it's uh that's a little more like this what about the movie fences that speaking of washington because that's that's a play and they got award nominees and Award winners there. True. But Fences isn't trying to be. Well, here's the thing. Fences is trying to be more grounded even as a stage. It, play, it's a little probably. unfair. It's a little unfair for me, too, because Fences had a lot more money behind it than this did. This only had four million dollars right. behind it. So it is a, it, it is an indie. It, and this movie also feels like a 90s indie, even though it was 2003. It feels it does very feel much like, like, like a 90s, 90s indie. indie, which, again, uh, I probably have some sort of bias towards because I do like 90s. <laughs> I mean, Evelyn's outfits are all very 90s. Her, uh, totally, her outfits completely. are out of time even completely, for early 2000s. Completely. Um, but I think that just some of the dialogue needs to be looked at and like, it, it just isn't, it doesn't hold true for me. Mm -hmm. Whereas I think, but what, what's weird is some of Philip's dialogue does hold true. So maybe it's the way they're performing it. Maybe Frederick Weller, the way he's performing Philip here on screen is different from how he performed it on stage. And I know he was nominated or won awards. He for did. Yeah. yeah. His, his performance as Philip. And he's great. He's got a lot of, he's got a lot more stuff to do because he's a supporting character, but he's got a lot of juicy dialogue. He's got right, a lot of yeah. stuff to do. It's a good role. It's a good role. One of my notes here is like, look, Paul Rudd acting because I like Paul Rudd, but it's tough to kind of, he's very often Paul Rudd. Right. Right. And in those big films like Ant-Man and, and it's, even Ghostbusters, which you haven't seen, he is Paul Rudd. In, in a generic movie, sense, yeah. I don't mean, obviously, there are emotional moments in a lot of these movies, the big films. I don't want to just lump it with Marvel, but these big films. It just know. doesn't seem like it, this right. is not him. But, but like, he is a good actor, and I've seen him in stuff where he can do, like, The Catcher Was a Spy is, I'm not going to tell you it's a great film, but he's good in it. I have to see that. I have not but, seen that. Um, but so, it was good to see him in something, again, that it was just him acting. Oh, yeah. I mean? Yeah, so I, I, but, but, but he doesn't have he's got to play kind of like the quote-unquote straight guy where he's he's just everything's bouncing off of him he's right reactive a lot of times he is he, he's he never really has his own voice until the very end of the movie because he, in terms of like which kind of shows that right. 
she succeeded in what oh, she was no, trying see, to that's do. The thing. Yeah, that's because you that's talked what to, makes it not awkward. You mentioned before about how I liked it, how you think I liked it because I just like that. Well, I can't remember you said that it was just. I said one of the things you probably liked about yeah. what, making me watch it was that it's an uncomfortable movie. And right, okay, I, yeah. which I think is why you put it on the list. You, want, I put on. You the, want to see uncomfortable? I think we talked. No, about no, it no. I didn't do it though. Make you uncomfortable. <laughs> well, I put on the list because I remember watching this film. And I remember being like at the end of the movie, I was like, oh my god, I can't believe what she did to him. And then I was like. Yes, I love. I, like I, like I said before, in the company of men, this movie and your friends and neighbors. You want to? I love all those movies, and I love all those movies for probably the wrong reasons. In the company of men, though, I think it's more. Jason Patrick. Jason, evil. have you seen your friends and neighbors? I have never seen your my friends. Okay, and so I'm not. Friends. I'm not going to tell you because there's a moment where Jason. They, there's a couple moments in there, but Jason Patrick. You want to talk about despicable a me kind of a, a despicable guy? You got to watch. It's it's. It's, it's just something. But and I, and I, I enjoy. I, I just like. I don't know why, but maybe it's because the honesty of the fact that these people are are evil or mean. They know they are mean, and they don't care that they are mean. That kind of. I thing. think it's because most movies portray those kind of people either as villains, yeah, or they don't portray them at all. Like dicks don't exist in in the films universe. Usually, they are either literally the bad guys, but they're never like regular people. Mm -hmm. They're never your protagonists. They're never your average Joe. They're never yeah. your friends. They're always the bad guy. But in real life, good fun fact, the douchebag is probably your best friend oh, or something like absolutely. You probably, or your neighbor or something like that. And it, but in the company of men they're I have seen that they're despicable in that. I don't think Evelyn is despicable. I think she has issues. I think she's got a very broken moral compass or no moral compass where like art is her Art has replaced what well, should be a a sense of right and wrong. I which think I she have believes met, strongly those, in the art. Yeah, those yeah, people do of, exist. Yeah, I've met those no, people. Absolutely. In She'll, will she ever think that she did anything wrong? No, absolutely. Not. And she doesn't care. She doesn't but care. I don't think she doesn't care. That's the thing. There's a lot of dialogue in here which shows that I think she, while well, she didn't love him, to the point where their relate like their relationship was fake. I think it's clear that there are moments in dialogue where you can see that she she is hurt by the fact that Adam would cheat on her in, in a way. And I think that the dialogue in the presentation when she goes, you know, even if that was a calzone with uh, meatballs and spinach, and then she like breaks off and goes, but he did also have a salad. Like she has moments where she feels bad for him. She actually does have emotion. It's not like she doesn't think what she did was wrong. But she was never going to be with him in the end. Right. So it did. So it didn't matter. We're right. But right. I, I don't I think she's lying when she said she felt nothing and that she feels completely unfazed by what she did. Well, I would put it this way. But not the fact that she would never. She's a robot. She can't feel. But the fact right. that even though she feels that she will immediately rationalize it away and move on with, you know, but what, she does feel it. She's just trying to rationalize it. But she's not as psychopathic as maybe Adam might think or as the movie might present. Towards I, the end I think she I, I think she's going to. Maybe like twenty years later, when she's much older, she might soften in terms of you know as as obviously a lot of people do when they get older, they soften their kind of edges a little bit. Right. They don't, you know, I I I remember I would have countless arguments about movies with people in terms of just like no, but like you know, as you get older, you're just like I like movies. I like you don't like them, you like them. That's fine, whatever. I mean, I'll, for the sake of just being you know, having a good time and joking right, yeah. and just kind of like going debating of, of the hell debate. Yeah. I'll sure. jump in there, but I'm never going to get emotionally invested in stuff like that. Right. But I don't, I think that's what keeps her from being an actual despicable human being. Whereas the characters in, in the company of men are all bad. Yeah. But who's uh, not that I want to go into the company in the company of men, but who do you view in that, in those of those two characters as the worst? 
I know you're going to say Aaron Eckhart. It's probably, no, it's the other guy. It's the other guy because the other guy doesn't like, he, he's yeah. The, yeah, he's, he doesn't feel anything because he is Eckhart's, a, Eckhart's a dick. He right. is. Yeah. But he knows it and he knows what he's doing and he never wavers on what he's going to do. Right. Even though what they're doing is horrendous, but the other guy falls in love with the girl and he just kind of, at the end when he's just yelling at her. Right. Matt Malloy, that's the yeah, other guy. When he's just yeah. screaming at her and like, cause he's completely just deluded himself. It's just, oh, I like that movie. Anyways, <laughs> um, but I will say this back to this film, back to this film um, with regards to Evelyn. I will say that there, she does do something in this movie where she does take a stance on something is when she breaks the fourth wall at the end, which I forgot she did. And she gives the middle finger to indifference. Yes. And she, and she says that she says, fuck you middle. And, and, and but she's staring right, she's at, the right at the camera. And I think she's making a strong statement there. It's like, hate it or love it, but don't tell me it doesn't affect you. Like, so to your point, I right. think that's a, I think that's a, a you know great, what I you know what I thought of when she did that? What? I thought of the Rango episode, Ugh. hate it or love it. We redid that. Give me, a, give we me an emotion. We you gave me that. a forced emotion. We, <laughs> first of all, that original one is gone. So it doesn't count. I did at the end. It's just whatever. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, I did like that as well. I, obviously, in the play, she would have gone up to the audience and give them the finger. Right. Sure, but yeah. But here's the, but here's to, to the counterpoint, because you bring up Rango, the counterpoint with the indifference model uh, with that, you know, don't give indifference. It's like, well, when you are given movies that are the same over and I'm not just saying Marvel, but like everyone knows the success of Marvel is going to be like G.I. Joe. Everyone's trying to be like that. All that stuff. Sure. Yeah. When yeah. you consistently get that in every weekend at the theater or on streaming and it's the same and it's the same. It's you can't help but get indifferent to it. So something like the shape of things or movies that are like, that are different, that are not right. You know, I think those at those help you appreciate the bigger films more. And I think that, you know, whether you determine whether you love it or not, but when you get exposed to something that's the same over and over and over right. again, you can't help but sit down for two hours and have two and a half hours and watching the Eternals, which I just did and See, be like, eh, I saw it. You know, you can't help that because you just, it, you've, it's overload. The overload creates that indifference, I think. Sure. It's also the lack of emotional uh, cores mm -hmm. and and trying to make you. This movie, you know, Marvel is just trying to make you, enter, keep you entertained. Trying to make money. Well, hold They're on. They're trying to make money. Right. By keeping you mindlessly <laughs> entertained with action and special effects right. and this and that. And, sure, and sure, sure. Whatever. Ching. Exactly. Ching. And I'm indifferent to that. When I talk about not liking Marvel, it's that kind of indifference too. I've seen stuff explode before. Sure. Um, with superheroes. Sure. <clears throat> But I think when you're talking about shape of things, they're talking about an emotional resonance, a, a movie that's trying to make you feel things. You know, I talk about, you know, not liking Shakespeare in love a lot because, you know, I have this kind of attitude toward it that it took a took an Oscar away from Saving Private Ryan. Oh, but yeah. when I'm watching it, I don't feel indifferent. You should hate movie. Miramax you still, for that. You still feel something toward the characters in sure. Shakespeare in love. And, you know, you can't be indifferent toward a movie that's trying to make you feel something. Um, uh, how about this? Would you now don't say yes because you just want to do something. Would you be in this play? And what character would you play? I mean, I yes, I would be in this play. And although I would like to play Philip, I'm an Adam. <laughs> <laughs> I'm clearly an Adam. Uh, so you're saying that I'm a Philip. You're a Philip for uh, sure. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Anyone doing this and looking for I'll work for free. I will absolutely be Philip. All right, we're doing this. We're performing it. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. I uh I, do you have anything else that you want to talk about oh, with the movie? Uh, to, to jump onto your Paul Rudd's acting thing. Hey, I love the fact that the first thing I thought when she presents the evidence was. You're talking about at the. Thesis. At the very end, yeah, at okay. the thesis, when she presents her MFA thesis and he goes, uh, she, he goes at the end, I could sue you for this. And mm -hmm. she goes, I did take that into account because that was my first note is 
she can't do this without his permission. But then it's like, clearly he's just given up. It's like, she's won. Well, he, he's given so, up in that moment, but like, I, I, I don't I, think he's going to pursue. Although I do like the fact that they mention that he could, because the whole time I'm thinking you got to got to explain this to me. Well, she, he didn't send any waivers. So yeah, exactly. So yeah, no, she, he would have to sign waivers to allow that to keep going. Especially the sex tape part. Yeah. Yeah. It, but it is a student project. So I don't know if it's covered underneath the mercy. Con- I don't know. Uh, uh, even though it's a fit Texas college. Sex tape definitely isn't. I mean, you're watching the movie too. And I know that it's supposed to take place in the American Midwest, but like all I'm thinking, like this is like Southern California. It's obviously California. It's San Francisco. That's where they shot. But when like, I read on IMDb, it goes in the Midwest. I'm like, no. Yeah. I mean, maybe that's the setting of a play. Sure. And they shot it in San Francisco just because that's where they, you know, where yeah. everyone was. Uh, okay. But I was just, when I was yeah. watching, I'm like, this is like out West. You can say the word Chicago as many times as you want. But, well, uh. well, well, here, well, here's the other thing too. Uh, within and to they never say in the movie it's always it's in critics when they write about the movie they're saying right. like, the American West it's like okay well explain the, the ocean when they go and stand by the ocean oh, talk about I going down to the beach yeah it's like so maybe don't assume that the play synopsis is like the movie, the movie yeah so shame on you guys critics <laughs> over over twenty years ago <laughs> uh, <laughs> um but within that I I liked that and then I also liked that. He uh, admit, you know, she goes, I'm, I'm going to leave. Are you coming? And he goes, don't worry. I'm not going to destroy your like I'm, I'm going to stay for a little while. Don't worry. I'm not going to destroy your display. Right. Right. Uh, this kind of understanding that, you know, the display will stay. And she goes, you know, I'll give everything back to you. He wanted the ring. Saying, yeah. yeah. When he when he says, I'd like the ring back. It's my grandma's. And he breaks. Mm-hmm. I thought that was incredible acting. I was like, oh, that was, that's great. Yeah, he's got that's the chops. When you talk about Paul Redhead's chop, that yeah. that line was like, oh, that was. Yeah. That was like, oof. and you see segments of that in the bigger films when they have certain moments when they have to do that. But it's very difficult to find the pull those moments out of a of bigger movies because it's just everything else is so much bigger. And it's I also feel jokey. Paul Rudd's not given a lot of. No one's hurting Paul Rudd emotionally in movies. Oh, no, and That's also he doesn't. I mean, he's making a ton of money, so you're not going to say no to all that stuff. You oh know no, I'm I not mean? saying yeah, that with bigger yeah. movies. I'm just saying also his roles aren't as emotionally crippling as this. Well, I guess in I a mean, way. in Ant Man, you deal with the fact that he's an absentee father and he has he's trying to, you know, he, he does have a couple of moments stuff. where he yeah. finds out his daughter is now like older and stuff like that. That's that's the sec. That's during the Avengers Endgame. The yeah, Avengers yeah, yeah, you, yeah. You, there's moments. Like I said, there's moments in yeah. all of them. It's just difficult to pick them out. I, I can't think of a movie. Well, not that I've seen a ton of Paul Rudd movies, but where he's gotten like gutted to the point where he can his character is even given a chance to get to that point. Uh, I haven't seen this. Except for maybe rules. the end of the uh, the in Baxter. Forever. I was going to put the Baxter in there, but then I'm like, he's only in at the end. Uh, yeah. I but mean, it's the best scene in the movie. I haven't seen the Cider House rules in quite a long time, so I don't remember his role in that. But I do know that that movie wasn't, you know, uplifting. It was, but it had some, you know, down. Right, 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 so, right. Um, and he's pretty young back then. But yeah, no, I haven't really. I mean, shame on us. We haven't followed the Paul Rudd film career more. <laughs> 2021 uh, Sexiest Man Alive. Oh, was that really? Yeah, he was People uh, Magazine's. It was a big deal. Whatever. <laughs> but I think it's funny as watching you watch the beginning of this movie. And still, <laughs> obviously. Do you still think that? <laughs> uh, and I, I guess one final thought, I guess, uh, before we go on to why we think it's forgotten. You always have to remember, you, you don't say penis in Jenny's house. <laughs> He's yelling at him. So why do you, I mean, I guess, why do you think it's forgotten? Uh, you can't find it anywhere. Well, I think that doesn't help. It doesn't help that. Um, I mean, obviously it was a small film, 60 theaters, but I mean, it won a lot of awards. Neil LeBute is 
he's not a big name, but he's a name. When when people go, it's written or directed by Neil Abute, you go, okay. Even if you don't remember what movie yeah. it was, you know that there's, name. There's certain levels of uh, people who watch movies, you know, the casual fan. Right. But I think if you know, if you follow directors and writers, or, and also if you are into, you know, the plays and the written word on stage, I think you would know who Neil Abute was. Yeah. I mean, he's not, the, I mean, he is a, a small filmography, but he had his, he's got tons of plays out there. So right. it's not like, He's uh, he's a recognizable he's known, name. Yeah, but right. he's only. I would say that if you were looking at if you were taking the group the percentage of of moviegoers that would know what he's done, maybe you're talking like 50 percent, maybe. 40? Yeah, but yeah. I think if you said his name on screen, people would be like, "Oh, I know that guy." Because well, everybody, even knows, if they don't know that guy, well, because like my point is like everybody knows the Wicker Man remake with Nick Cage. Oh yeah, and now everyone punches just the knows the gift or the they, meme they, where he punches exactly. The everyone knows that, but nobody knows who <laughs> wrote and with the bees. But how many percent of those know who wrote and directed it? Nobody. Yeah. But if you say his name, they'd be like, "Oh, I know that guy," right, even right. if they couldn't name you a single thing. Right. So I, uh, yeah. obviously, Paul Rudd, his star has just gotten bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger as time has gone on. Uh and you know, it's a small film. It's a small film. Rachel Wise is a is a bigger actress. Mm-hmm. Um, I like Gretchen Maul uh, and Frederick Weller, but then they're not exactly big names. Who said they didn't? Who didn't? Who doesn't like them? Nobody. But I'm just <laughs> I'm I'm just saying that I. So I'm surprised that it didn't get more attention. You know, later on, that it didn't become more of a cult kind of thing, just because of the yeah. names involved. But I think the subject matter is tough. It doesn't end happily. Uh, it, it's a it's a tough watch. I mean. Well, you don't know. I think there's enough to make end. it not uncomfortable for me. No, you don't know how you it's going to get back to Jenny. But in terms of this is a movie that you'd have to get somebody to watch. You'd have to have somebody. Oh, you know, you watch this. You know, it doesn't exactly have a happy ending. It's it's tough to get somebody to watch something what, what, that doesn't end well. What she did to him is is obviously awful, but she did improve him. See, that's the thing. No, he that's, did get healthier. That's the thing. Yeah. yeah. That's what makes it not an a, com- a completely uncomfortable watch. Right, right, right. But it doesn't still it still doesn't end happy. He still loses Jenny, who should have been the love of his life. He hasn't he's, lost her yet, man. He still loses Philip. You know they're they're not gonna become friends with Adam again because although yes, she ruined Adam's life more. She still ruined it by proxy. Philip and Jenny. I don't see. I don't think that there uh, because it would not have been a happy marriage. But they don't know that. I don't. No, no, no. I'm saying I don't think that. I I would think that after this, if we're talking about the shape of things, part two, I do think that Jenny and and Adam will get together because. Adam was used. Adam was, he, I mean, he's completely a victim here. So why wouldn't Jenny feel sorry for him? Mm. She does leave first because of the disgust that she feels for that. She's Whereas yeah. Philip leaves because he's just mad that the whole thing happened. It right, seems. right, right. right. Uh, but yeah, I, I think that that makes it a tough watch. And I think that makes it hard to recommend to the casual movie viewer. Someone like you or I who like films, um, especially someone who likes plays or the written word like mm-hmm. you. Um and even me, I, I like plays as well. I, if you had told me this was a play first, I would have started it through a different lens. Although I still I would have had. Should an issue I have told you that first? No, I All mean, right. once I figured it out, the dialogue wasn't an issue. Um, that's a big an issue. I think it's harder for other people that aren't quite as into that to like it. Even people maybe who like film might not like the kind of playness of it all. It's an acquired taste, I think. Yes. I, I think compared to his other films, like we keep talking about in the Company of Men, more people know in the Company of Men because that set that put Aaron Eckhart on the map. That was like he he his star like catapulted from that movie. So that's why people know that movie more. Um, it's also a clearer line of, like we said before, despicableness. Sure, you want to see a movie about just two terrible people. Yeah, uh, just watch this movie. Where right. Shape of Things is like, is Evelyn that terrible? Is Adam terrible? 
the things that are happening are kind what of she's doing shitty. is terrible. What she's but doing the is outcome terrible. you can't you it's tough to argue you, the outcome. It's tough to argue the negativity of the outcome in terms of his personal and physical appearance and right. what she has done for him, but how they got there. But again, like I started off saying, like it's it's an over exaggeration of what happens when you meet a significant other and you start and you hit puberty and you want to start taking care of yourself. And everyone has met somebody in their life that uh, changed them the way they wore different things. Like, you know, like, you know, whether they wore, you know, t-shirts all the time to now wearing dress shirts, like exactly. that happens. And it's like, you don't think about it because it's not so, uh, it's not so avert in, it's not so manipulative. Like it is in this movie, but it is a, is some form of manipulation. Oh, it still and, happens. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it's like, you can't knock that and at the end of this yeah. movie. You know, I came out of it thinking that came out of it. I mean, I watched it at home, <laughs> you know, I walked off my couch <laughs> thinking, you know, Adam's life, you know, He's going to have a shitty rest of the year. This is something that's going to be in the back of his head for a while. But overall, he's going to have a better life afterward. He's thinner. He's better looking. He's more confident. He's going to get Jenny. <laughs> I think that even if he doesn't get Jenny and Adam, his life going forward will improve at some point. Unless and, he and starts eating. Although, he, although I wondered about the eating and drinking. Well, yes. And the thing. I wondered that. I wondered if that was just him being going back to old habits or that was him just angry and just trying. I, I didn't understand that. I think that was just him angry and trying to be like, yeah. oh, I'm going to ruin. I it. didn't this, get that. This is my, this is my picture anyway. This is my food anyway. Right. Putting right. the half eaten pretzel or the hell it right. was. And then the, the punch. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right, cool. Where can they find us? Well, you can actually find us unlike the shape of things uh, you can find us at forgottenentertainment.com or forgottencinemapodcast.com uh, we are part of the Forgotten Entertainment family so while you're there check out all the other great podcasts on forgottenentertainment.com and you can find us on Spotify Apple Podcasts YouTube is a big one and wherever you find and we're everywhere just make sure you rate comment review all subscribe all that good stuff helps our podcast grow yeah let us know how we're doing if we're doing anything you don't like or if you want butler to be replaced by something else that's fine too by something else <laughs> and now a stump butler what do you think of this oh man the movie we review about four thousand. <laughs> um, this was good oh man you're so much better than butler ever was <laughs> um, before i do this are we doing the 72 scores or the the 72 okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. I just was. I probably watched both before. I, I want to watch that. And then yeah. I was like, that confusion. I was like, wait a minute, which one are we doing? I, pretty, I was like 95% sure. Okay. <laughs> and join us next week as we're going to the 70s, Butler, my favorite, my favorite decade. I don't know. Uh, we're going to watch the 1972 film Sleuth. And uh, Butler says he's going to watch the uh, remake as well with Jude Law. I'm going to give it a try. I think I, I've seen it. Maybe I'll do that as well. Interesting. Oh, um, you did see the remake? I've seen the remake. I did not see the remake. A long time ago. But probably when it first came out and then I've, I've never gone back. We had it at the theater for a week and I missed it. And then I was like, eh. <laughs> no, I hear that. So yeah, we're going to be doing Sleuth uh, next week. Uh, and that's it, Butler. Everyone have a great week. I am Mike Fields. No, I'm Mike Butler. And this has been Forgotten Cinema. <laughs>